following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes is he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And what Lewis reminds us of when he says that is he reminds us that um, the sun shows us what we need to see, right? If we all look, don't look that way, look that way. Nobody look that way. Everybody look that way. Look out the big windows, right? You look out those big windows. Anybody see the sun out there? Like see the actual sun out there? No. But would anybody go, go well, I think it's probably midnight. No, you know it's morning, and you know the sun has risen. Why? If you don't see the sun, how do you know it's risen? Because the light of the sun helps you to see everything that's in front of you. You see it with clarity. You know what's there. And Lewis says, this is, this is the way I believe in Christianity. Not because I, I, I can necessarily see it, touch it, feel it, but because by it, everything else is clear. Everything else is understood. Everything else makes sense. As we've talked about Many times, the, the Christmas season is an easy time to be sidetracked by celebrations and festivities and traditions and all that other stuff. And, and, and as good as those things are, and, and they are good, let's not pretend that they're bad things, they are very good things. As good as they are, if they keep us from seeing with clarity the majesty and the magnitude of Jesus' impact on the entirety of the human existence, then the joy and the hope and the celebrations that we have at this time of the season are deceptively empty. So, how does the birth of Jesus bring focus, not just to the Christmas season, but to the entirety of human existence? In our final week in this series, we're going to examine the the coming of Jesus and why his birth into the world in the body of a human child is so important to us. And the first reality we're going to see is that the incarnation shines the light of creation. The incarnation shines the light of creation. Now, first thing off the bat, we have to go, well, what do we mean by the incarnation? Many of you know this, but, but let's, let's have a quick moment of review. When we say incarnation, what do we mean? The incarnation is the act of God entering into human existence in human form in order to deliver his divine glory. Okay, God entering into human existence in human form, in order to deliver his divine glory. We talked last week about John 1, uh, verse 14. says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, the son of God, one with the father, became flesh. He took on human flesh. He came in human form. He was not a figure of some person. He wasn't this mirage of what a real person was. No, he came in flesh. He took on a human body to bring God's divine glory into God's creation. When Jesus left the heavenly throne and came willingly to this earth, he was not forced. He came willingly. 
He did so as a physical human baby without giving up his divine nature. Right? This is, you want your seminary word of the day, the hypostatic union. Right? The hypostatic union is the fact that Jesus is somehow 100% man and 100% God. He is both. I don't know how that works. Right? I've said many times, if you find somebody who tells you they truly understand that, they're either lying to you or they're crazy because they don't know what they don't know. Because right? it doesn't make sense. But what I know is scripture is very clear that Jesus took on a full human flesh without giving up his divine nature. Well, okay, what does that have to do with creation? How does this point us back to creation? I'm glad you asked this morning. Let me tell you. If we look at Genesis chapter one, verses one through three, I'm gonna read, read one through three once again, but we're gonna focus on verse three this morning. Genesis chapter one, verses one through three says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Verse three, then God said, let there be light and there was light. When God said, let there be light, he called all of creation out of darkness and out of chaos. He brought the first glimmer of light into creation. You ever gone, maybe been out on a, um, out on a farm that's far away from, from town, or maybe you've been camping in a, a state park or out in the woods somewhere, um, or, or maybe you've just been someplace where there's no artificial light. And you stand there in the midst of this deep darkness. And maybe it's even an overcast night. So you can't even see the stars. You know how dark and gloomy that can feel. But here's the thing. In the darkest night you've ever seen, you still have light. You still have light that is reflected off the moon. You still have light that enters in. In the darkest of nights, when you can only see your hand like this far in front of your face, there is light that has been provided by God, a light that did not exist until God said, let there be light and sent light into his creation. And in Jesus' birth, the true light came into the world providing opportunity to come out of the darkness and the chaos of human merit and into divine grace. See, Jesus' birth brought the light of life into a world that was dominated by the darkness of death. The light of life into a world that was dominated by the darkness of death. From Adam's first sin, until Jesus' coming, his sacrifice, his resurrection, death was central to existence. Right? Adam and Eve living in the garden in perfection, in this life, in the very presence of God. What do they do? They sin. They sin. And death and decay enter creation. An animal is killed to clothe Adam and Eve. Cain kills his brother. Israel is freed from, from their slavery 
to Egypt by the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. And they're spared in that by the death of a lamb whose blood was smeared across their door frames. Animal sacrifice became the, the way to pay for man's sin in that sacrificial system of Israel. In fact, even when Israel enters into the promised land and becomes a, a powerful nation, they spend a thousand years facing their own death and demise time and time again as they reject God and are given over to foreign enemies. Death drives existence. Then comes Jesus. Jesus, God in human flesh, starts a brand new day. One not dominated by death, but one lived in the brilliance of the light of life. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Anyone who lives in me will never walk in darkness. See, in Jesus, that light that comes into the world, darkness no longer reigns. Darkness no longer has power because we can walk in the life of his light. God said, let there be light and light enters creation. Jesus comes and brings a holy, perfect light into all of existence. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus shines the true, pure, and powerful light of God's creation. Do we see, do we see the light of God's loving creation through the incarnation of Jesus? When we look at the manger, do we see a baby that's going to grow up and do some good stuff and is going to relieve some pressure from our lives? Or do we see the divine light of life that removes the darkness, the chaos, the decay, and the death in a way that nothing else ever could? Jesus' incarnation reminds us of the glory of God's creation. Next, the incarnation shines the light of salvation. The incarnation shines the light of salvation. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Now, we mentioned this verse last week, but what does this prophecy, it was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, actually tell us about the incarnation? Well, Isaiah is, is telling the Israelites, who at this point are, have, have been through a few ups and downs. They've turned away from the Lord. They've been handed over to their enemies more than once. But Isaiah is telling them, listen, there is one who is coming. There is a Messiah who is coming. Messiah meaning the anointed one. 
One who's coming who will lift God's people out of their suffering and out of their depression and lead them into God's joy and God's prosperity. Isaiah is saying this, this Messiah, this chosen one, he would be the light of God's salvation, leading you into the presence of God. And this is what God's people were waiting for when Jesus was born. And in fact, this is what the Jewish people are still waiting for today because they missed, they missed the light of salvation because Jesus came to deliver God's promise, but he didn't deliver it the way that they wanted him to. He delivered God's promise, not in the form of a political salvation for the nation of Israel. He did it in a much greater and much deeper salvation for all of his creation. The redemption from sin and death, the reconciliation of a broken creation, of our broken souls, our broken lives to a good, perfect, and holy God. This is what we were waiting for. The light of salvation As I was thinking about Christmas and, and thinking about getting our family ready for our Christmas celebration and, and, and getting presents for the kids, and I, I kept thinking, like, uh, uh, why do we get so excited about Christmas presents? Think about it for a second. Why, why, why do, especially little kids, why do they get so excited about Christmas presents? Because for me, I get excited because I get new stuff. And I like new stuff. I'm not going to lie. Do you, do you dislike new stuff? No, we like new stuff. My kids don't get excited about Christmas because they get new stuff necessarily. I don't think they're excited because of the acquisition of material possessions. But I think my kids know that at Christmas, they're going to get something they wouldn't have otherwise gotten they were going to get something that they haven't earned. They're going to get something that they, my kids are great, but they're going to get something they, haven't, they don't deserve. It's that knowledge that we're getting this thing that we could never get on our own. When it comes to the light of salvation, when it comes to Jesus Christ, you and I could never attain, achieve, earn a holiness that is worthy of bringing us into God's presence. And so Jesus was born into human flesh to do what you and I could not, which is earn salvation. John 3, verse 16 and 17 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But remember what verse seven says, or 17 says? It says, for he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Not through being a good person. Not through going to church enough. Not through knowing all the Bible verses. through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone. You and I can only ever know God's salvation 
Our neighbors can only ever know God's salvation. Our family members can only ever know God's salvation. Your children can only ever know God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, through his victorious resurrection, through his eternal deliverance. It's only through Jesus Christ the one who took on human flesh and entered in the world and entered into this world only through him that we find the light of salvation the way back to the father again in john 14 verse 6 many of you know this verse jesus says i am the way the truth and the life who does he say can come to the father without him no one. Jesus came to be born to deliver God's salvation. He had to live in humanity and he had to die to pay the penalty for all of creation. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, his incarnation, his birth, life, death, resurrection, and eternal reign that shines the light of salvation. Is there room in our Christmas celebration around the manger to be grateful for what that manger will lead to? Because the story of Jesus doesn't stop in a manger in Bethlehem. It matters when we follow that to the cross and to the empty tomb. By his incarnation, Jesus not only reflects the light of salvation, the, the light of creation and shines the light of salvation, but finally, we also see that the incarnation shines the light of eternity. The incarnation shines the light of eternity. See, God has put eternity into the hearts of every human being. God tells us this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He's put eternity in the hearts of every one of us. And what that means is that we instinctively know that there's more to our existence than a few years lived on earth. There's something inside of us that, that groans, that tells us our life is not about what we achieve here on earth. That's all fine and good, but there's something more. God has put eternity in our hearts. The problem that we have with this, the problem that, that most of us have with this, the problem that I have with this, is that in my limited human knowledge, I struggle to understand what that means. Anybody with me? God says, you've got eternity. Somebody explain to me eternity. I don't get it. And honestly, it kind of scares me. God's put this eternity in my heart, saying there's something so much more than this life. Well, what does that mean? If we go to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, John writes, then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, 
and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, there's about 7,000 things that we could pick apart and talk about in that passage that have theological significance and importance. We're gonna make it real simple this morning. Let me tell you what these verses have to say to you and to me about eternity. God, in showing John this picture of, of the final days, says this, you have two options. Eternity with God or eternity without him. Period. End of story. That's it. Two options. And when Jesus was born into human flesh, bringing God's divine glory before us, what he did was he, he showed us two tangible realities. One, he showed us what our lives would need to look like to earn eternity in God's holy presence. And second, he showed us how far each and every one of us truly is from being that person. This is what you have to do if you want to know me, love me, serve me, if you want to be in my holy presence. But this is who you are. You are not Jesus. You never have been Jesus. You never will be Jesus. And so what that says about those two choices is that everything about who you are, everything about who you and I are, have been, ever will be, everything we can achieve, everything we can do deserves that eternity separated from God. And yet, through Jesus' birth, life, sacrifice, and resurrection, we are given everything we need to trade in our earthly unholiness for the eternal goodness of our loving Father. Okay, the question then has to come back to this. How does this change the way we celebrate Christmas? If I understand Jesus coming shows me what my life would have to be and how I can't do that, how far I am from earning salvation, and yet it's been given to me because of who my God is, what do I do? How do I respond to that? While the rest of our world, while the rest of our, our culture would actually acknowledge would actually acknowledge the fact that the Christmas season is a season of joy, right? Even, even all the people you know who don't know Jesus, who don't trust the Lord, they would say Christmas season is a time for joy, right? Every commercial that you see on TV, everybody's happy and smiling and giving cars to their significant other. Like, 
Every, every event that's on, right? It's happy. There's Christmas trees being lit up and choirs singing happy songs. Even your Starbucks cup may say joy on it. Even in a culture and a world that would acknowledge that Christmas is a season for joy, you and I should be the people of the greatest joy the world has ever known. In Psalm 13, verse five and six, it says, I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Are you, do you hear it? I've trusted in God's faithful love and I will rejoice in his deliverance, his salvation, the eternity that he has given to me that I haven't earned and don't deserve. And I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Yes, the Christmas season can bring its share of heartaches. Some of you are quietly saying amen to that. Some of you are shouting it inside your heads. The Christmas season can bring its share of heartaches. It can bring painful memories. It can bring the thought of loved ones who are gonna be missed around our tables or close friends or family members who are still far from Christ. But even so, we remember that through this child, through Jesus, born to a virgin, born in a dirty cave in a little town called Bethlehem, through this child, our eternity is secured. It is generously secured not because of what we do, not because of what we deserve, not because of what we have earned, but because of what the child would do, what Jesus would do on our behalf. As we've already said, Christmas is about so much more than a manger. The manger is important because it leads us to the cross. And what Christ won on the cross, no flesh no power, no strength, no ability can ever overthrow. Again, we go to John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, and Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And when Jesus says no one here, he's not talking just about physical people leading you astray. He's saying there is no power, there is no authority, there is nothing on this earth that can remove you from the presence of the God who has given you eternal life. We rest in the peace of his eternal victory and we sit securely in place because of his grace and because of his grace alone. Is our Christmas celebration one that steps beyond even the moments of joy. And, and we, should, we should celebrate and rejoice in the moments that we have during the Christmas season and the times that we spend with friends or, or family. 
of all the different ways that God gives us to enjoy our life now. But our celebration should step beyond the moment and step into that eternal joy of knowing that when our race is run here, if we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we have confessed that we are broken, sinful people who cannot contribute anything to our salvation except the sin which makes it necessary, if we trust in him, our eternity is secured in his glorious, joyful, hope-filled presence. One that our best ideas and most greatest conceptions of what that eternity in his presence looks like will never even begin to measure up to. Do we celebrate the eternal joy of God's holy presence? The incarnation is about much more than a baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago. It's about God taking on human flesh to walk through his creation, to fulfill the created calling of mankind, to redeem his beloved children, to assert his dominion over all of eternity in his loving, grace-filled sovereignty. The incarnation of Jesus Christ reminds us to look back with gratitude on God's perfect work of creation. It calls us to rejoice in Christ's work of salvation of our souls in this life, and it presses us to look ahead to the great and awesome joy of worshiping our King for all of eternity ahead. In short, the incarnation of Jesus Christ allows us to celebrate Christmas and to allow our celebration of the Christmas season to explode beyond a season and to envelop and saturate every moment of our lives forever and ever and ever. Church family, may we truly and fully celebrate this Christmas. Wherever we find ourselves, in whoever's company we spend the holiday and at whatever time our, our voices rise in praise and adoration of the Savior of the world who was born into a manger in Bethlehem, may our praise be wonderful and clear and complete. Because we know the light that shines in this life. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the ways you have loved us, provided for us, cared for us. We thank you for the, the glory of your creation. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the promise of eternity. We thank you for the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, who came to take away the sins of the world, to redeem your lost lonely and broken sheep. And Lord, we celebrate this Christmas, the joy of the birth of our Savior. We cry out in praise for who he is. And 
We repent of the sin that made his birth necessary. And at the same time, we rejoice even greater for what he was preparing to do and what he would do to bring us back to you. And as we think of the child in the manger, we see that manger in the shadow of the cross. And we fall at our knees and we cry out, Jesus, save us. We proclaim our allegiance with the simple cry this morning of, Lord, we adore you. We worship you. We praise you. We adore you. We adore you. We adore you. And Lord, our grateful hearts burst with the joy and the hope and the peace of your salvation. Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.erieefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.